Sean Sewell with Engagement.com podcast. I'm super excited to have on my good friend, Pat Flynn, for I think the ninth or 10th time, but it's been over a year and a half since the last time we've chatted. Uh, so, wait, no, a year and a half. I was, no way. Can, that I think, long? I think or so. Or just a half year. I feel like <laughs> it was a half year. If it's been a year and a half, that's horrible. <laughs> how, did we, how did we mess up that bad? <laughs> you know what? I have no idea. I think, um, yeah, last one was March 21st of 2021. Oh my Lanta. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh I wow, wow. Well, it's good to be back. And uh I can't believe it's been that long, Sean. Mm-hmm. I know it's great to have you back. I actually haven't had any much in the way of guests in the last year or so. Um, so it's nice to have you back as like the first official guest. Oh, what an honor. Well, I will try my best not to make this the most boring conversation that your audience has ever heard. Oh, it, they love hearing from you. So um, a little recap, um, if you haven't listened to Pat on the other podcasts or know of Pat, um, father, entrepreneur, author, uh, Chronicles of Strength is his website, constantly putting out amazing content, uh, a brown kettlebell-based fitness, um, a musician, um, a master of theology, uh, a renaissance man, really. Yeah, philosophy. I'm not a theologian. I always have to clarify that. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, yeah. You have uh, how many podcasts do you host currently? So, um, so yeah, this is this is an interesting question. So originally, I, I just had the Pat Flynn show, but it was so generalist, right? We covered so many different topics of the things that I was interested in and like talking about uh, everything from fitness to business to philosophy, and then I realized it was probably better. I was advised by people who are um, smarter than I am when it comes to just having different platforms for different things uh, say, yeah, you should you should break that up. You should create different podcasts. But that's a pain because then you have to manage a bunch of different things. So I'm like, all right, I'll just do two. I'll just do two. So I've got my Pat Flynn show, and that's just predominantly fitness at this point. Every once in a while, we'll explore you know something else that's just fun and interesting. And then I have my Philosophy for the People podcast, which I co-host with Jim Madden. And that is, of course, predominantly philosophy content. So those are the those are the two main ones right now. Mm-hmm. Wow, and a really good idea of breaking things up uh, for different audiences. And was Jim Madden on as a fitness guest originally? Yeah, so it's really funny. Jim and I. So he's a he's a professor, and he in philosophy focuses on uh, philosophy of mind is his area of specialty. And I was doing a lot of reading and research in that area, and so I had come across some of his work. And I'm like, this guy seems interesting, and I I think I want to reach out to him. And we made a connection, sort of in in the philosophy world. And then I and then it quickly um, it quickly came about that uh, he himself was deeply in the kettlebell world, like especially early on with Pavel. And of course, like we started kind of freaking out about that because we're like, that's just so, that's just so weird. I mean, like we must have like been swimming in the same fitness circle. But somehow our paths never cross until many years later uh, because of philosophy. So then, yeah, we just we just hit it off like right away uh, because we had so many common interests, not just in philosophy, but fitness and martial arts. He's a very serious jujitsu player. And uh, yeah, we've just been been jamming away ever since. Mm-hmm. That's that's incredible. So how back how far back with uh, with Jim do you go back with Pavel? Because you went back quite a ways, like youngest person to go through RKC. Is that correct? I was at the time. Um, yeah, I think I was at the time, which would have been 2008 ish when I did RKC, I was the youngest person to ever, ever do it. I mean, I was like fresh in college. So I was pretty, um, 
pretty fresh as a, as a human specimen as well at that time. Um, so that was cool. Jim was before me, actually, we found out Jim was like, I, I forget exactly the, the timeline, but he was, he was even doing kettlebells before I got into it, which was, which was pretty funny. Um, oh, he was like early, early. And I don't, he never did. I think the official certs, he was just sort of in that, in that world. And he discovered Pavel early on and, you know, um, yeah. And he's, he's a monster in terms of his, he's way stronger than I am. I mean, especially with the kettlebell lifts, he's just, um, he carries himself with a great humility, but he's, he's savagely strong. So it's, it's not like he couldn't have done any of the certs. It's just, he just, he just never, he just never went through with it. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's almost 20 years in the, in the kettlebell world for him and Mm -hmm. for you 15 years. Yeah. It's crazy to think about and how much, how much has changed and how much has stayed, stayed the same. I mean, I kind of, I entered in, I guess when uh, things were sort of more or less at their peak, I feel with popularity. I mean, the certs were like hundred and 150 people and they were a ton of fun, man. They were just um, super high energy. Everyone was pumped to be there. Um, Just a lot of really cool, inspiring people. Um, I, I mean, I loved it. I loved the whole experience. I, I loved the energy, the ambiance. Uh, but then of course, as we know, things, uh, the good times didn't always last in that form, you mm-hmm. know, people parted ways and, uh, and, uh, I, you know, even, even me, I sort of went my own, my own direction. Um, never, never with any animosity towards what came behind just for sort of my own creative projects just led me in a different direction than staying just very kind of, um, tightly in that, in that kettlebell world. Um, but yeah, so those those were the days, man. I don't know. Did you ever go to those like me- mega certs, <laughs> right? Or the... I think so. My my first one was 2015, and there was, I think we had four team leaders, mm-hmm. and Eric Frohart was the CEO, and he was there. Pavel was not there, but I think it was um, Zar Horton. Who's okay, a... so that would have been that would have been when Strong First. That would have been the Strong First cert right um exactly because when i went it was still just one it was just the rkc at the time before the before the old split Mm -hmm. yep i think it was three years into strong first something like that Mm -hmm. but yeah we it's even from the 2015 to now watching the evolution of uh not being as harsh not as many repetitions not as much of a it's still a rite of passage for a lot of people but i know when you did it (laughs) it was probably very challenging oh it's just pure hazing uh yeah. most of it right and uh i don't know you know some people um come down on you know pretty hard of like hey we shouldn't have shouldn't have diluted things right and other people are like well you know we want to teach people how to be coaches not just like wantonly beat the crap out of them i always i always felt like there was a balance that could be reasonably struck there um even with things like the snatch test does being able to perform a hundred reps uh, with a 24 kilogram in five minutes prove that you're a good kettlebell coach? No, of course not. But at least it at least shows me uh, that you care about something, right? Cause that's not, that's not something that like you can, even if you're in general good shape and there were people at my original cert, I remember there was a guy in my team. He looked, he looked hench. He was strong but he dropped the kettlebell on like his, his 10th rep. He just clearly didn't practice. He didn't take anything seriously. And so he failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always, I always thought stuff like that was, was good. Yeah. It doesn't prove you're a good coach, but it proves that you're invested and you're willing to care about something. And it certainly isn't going to hurt <laughs> in your coaching abilities to kind of put yourself through these, these different trials. So 
But yeah, that's how I think about it. Trying to find that that balance of putting the pressure on, making sure that people are invested and they care. Uh, but yeah, maybe we don't need to like be aggressive uh, in the or ridiculous with the hazing. I mean, one of the things to do. I got. I look. I mean, some of it's not that bad, but it's kind of it's kind of funny looking back. We had to carry our kettlebell everywhere we went. Like to the to the bathroom, right? If we went to the bathroom, we had to like bring our kettlebells. Like you couldn't go anywhere without your kettlebells all weekend. And that's uh, it's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> yeah. So you and the kettlebell become good friends. And did you right. your, use your snatch weight to do that? Yeah. So it was like for me, it was a twenty-four. So like it was me and the twenty-four. We we did. We became <laughs> the best of friends. Mm-hmm. Bonded. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um. Even to that point, I know we did. We didn't take them to the bathroom, but we did carry them in the the gym facility everywhere we carry them overhead we carry them in the rack position yep so yeah and like that's good because like you're not like not killing anybody with that right but it's like yeah yeah good you get to carry kettlebell around that's good i'm fine with that yeah (laughs) (laughs) well you have your own certification right the strong Mm -hmm. i love it because you went through this original system and people come to you for advice since then and you're fantastic with the great workout programming and then when did you decide to create strong on yeah so part of the reason we did it is we wanted to fill what we thought was a gap right so a lot of people you know kind of left and started competing certs but what we did is we realized having we were running a bit we you know run our own business right and we ran pretty um good size you know kettlebell classes and and courses you know at the uh, at the old um at the old dragon gym I say old, still around. It's just I moved. I live in Wisconsin now. This is back when I lived in in Pennsylvania. And we realized, hey, there's there's something missing here, which is like how to teach people how to how to coach kettlebells specifically in a in a group format, and how to tie that into those who want to not just become a great coach, but a great business owner. And that was sort of the aim of uh, our certification. It originally started out uh, being called Killing It with Kettlebells, and later it, it, we we changed the the name to Strong On just to, to fit our overall brand. So we actually assume that you're coming to our cert, hopefully with a background already in something like RKC or SFG. Like we want you to come into our cert, like you you better know the swing and the squat and have all that stuff already down. What we want to focus on is teaching you programming from a generalist perspective for you know, your sort of general pop audience. How do you program not just for individuals, but groups? How do you handle certain situations in, uh, especially when it comes to running kettlebell classes, troubleshooting situations, things like, hey, what if you have like 13 people who are just rocking it and killing it? And then you have like two newcomers drop in right away. Like, how do you keep that class interesting, challenging, appropriate? Like, how do you, how do you deal with that stuff? Right. Cause this mm-hmm. is, this is real world business. And then focusing on systems, marketing it's one thing to run awesome classes that you care about it's another thing to get people in there and make this you know ultimately uh, a viable viable model so that's what we do we, we were naming uh, and still are naming to be competitive but complementary with those other uh specifically just strong first these days mm-hmm. no that's fantastic and i think it's a very underappreciated part of uh the education is applying it mm-hmm. for business or for helping people not just the typical people you might meet in a uh, certification were fit and able-bodied, but like, how do you approach people who really need health and fitness coaching and make it palatable? Yeah. And so, you know, ours is always coming from the generalist philosophy. So we, we, we focus a lot on programming and program design, again, not just for individuals, but for groups. How, what, what are the mechanics of that? 
And when we talk about generalism, yes, strength is important, but we also want to make sure that we're building a sort of robust general physical preparedness, conditioning, mobility, hypertrophy, all that. So how do we do that with kettlebells? How do we do it on a small scale? How do we do it on a large scale? And then what does this actually look like in the trenches? What are the different scenarios you'll you'll face as a coach when you're teaching uh, one-on-one, small groups, large groups? We've been through all of it for so many years. So mm-hmm. we love to just introduce those people to those scenarios, run them through, equip them with as many tools as they can, not just so they can deliver amazing results you know, to their clients, but like you said, like, how do you make it uh, not just palatable, but really fun and engaging, especially this is something that we really try to impress upon business owners is like, you know, when it, when it comes to strong first, I think this is right. You know, you often say safety and performance are not at odds. Definitely true. Um, I don't think effectiveness and fun have to be at odds either, right? As a coach, we should want it to be both. So that's kind of what we teach a strong on. How do you make your programming effective, but also something that people are like really going to look forward to that's exciting, that's motivating, they'll go out and talk about it, they'll feel good afterwards. And sometimes people put these things at odds. They'll have these very kind of idealized programs that are just totally super boring, right? Especially yeah. for a group. And then there's the other side where people will have like stuff that's fun, but not really purposeful, right? It's not really driving towards any greater goal, at least with not any um, remarkable efficiency, right? So yeah, our, our our philosophy is let's try and marry these two, right? We, we have our goals. We have our clear sort of generalist outcome that we're aiming towards. How do we get there efficiently? And how do we have fun along the way to make sure that our clients actually enjoy the process and like want to go out and, and talk about it and tell other people about it. Mm-hmm. That's a great approach. I respect the heck out of it. Um, to speak to your point in my group classes, there's a lot of smiles, a lot of laughter and why not? Our, our, our mutual friend, Brett Jones uh, mentions that, that um, having fun and fitness do not have to be separated, you know, and, and he's a very stuff. wise man. So yeah. I'm always happy to be in agreement with Brett. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to your, to your point with uh, Dan, John, I actually used his 30 for 30 as a blueprint for all of our, all of our group classes. Mm, mm-hmm. So please tell him thank you for that. Uh, yeah, I, cer- I certainly will. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, it's super, super useful, especially suitcase carries, swings, squats, and just it works. And, and if I can build on that, you know, so the 30 for 30 is like um, literally just 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off for 30 minutes. And this is like one of the tools we teach when it comes to group programming. It's like, hey, you know. Um, you can do the certain like traditional sets and rep things, but there's other things that work really well for groups and uh, timed workouts or on the clock workouts are really good. Why? Because people can kind of um, auto-regulate certain components of a workout, but everyone's still kind of staying together, which is really cool. And these are the things that you have to consider, right? Like you don't want to program a workout that, you know, one person in class finishes in five minutes and it takes another person 30 minutes. Like what the heck? do you do right with like, that's a situation you don't want to wind up in. Yeah. And it's, and it's unfortunate, you know, a lot of coaches don't think about it until they wind up in that situation. It's really kind of, kind of awkward. Right. But <laughs> so those are the types of things we're trying to teach. Like, Hey, here's a framework that's going to work well. And here's how to make sure people are like really appropriately challenged within that framework on the clock workouts or something we teach a lot so they can, you know, find what's going to, you know, help move them closer to their goal according to their abilities. But at the same time, we have this sort of communal aspect where everyone's kind of staying together. Nobody feels awkward because they're like way behind or, or something like that. So there's so many dynamics, as you know, Sean, because you've been a coach and a great one for a long time. There's so many dynamics that it's just like, it, you have to manage all of them, right? It's not just about um, sets and reps and volume and density. Those are important, 
but there's so many of those psychological elements to oh, yeah. the coaching experience. And, you know, uh, you want people to feel challenged, but you also want them to feel like, you know, not awkward, <laughs> right? When, especially if they're new, <laughs> yeah, right? And like, these are things that good coaches should not only be aware of, but should have systems in place to manage all those different dynamics. Mm-hmm. 100% agree. Yeah, it's fun when you get that new challenge into your class, a person totally new, um, welcoming them in and then creating a, a comfortable atmosphere and creating a regression or progression for them. Um, I'm sure this is all in your strong on certification. Um, which I, again, when did you create this? Was this four years ago, the first one, four and a half years so ago? So four, four and a half years ago is probably when we first uh, switched it from Killing It to Kettlebells uh, to Strong On. But Killing It Kettlebells, and it was really just sort of a branding and name shift. The, the fundamental curriculum and philosophies stayed the same. Um, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. When did we do the first ever search? Uh, it's It's been a minute. I want to say 2013 or 2014, something along, along those lines. So we've been, wow. and we typically do two a year. Obviously, with the whole COVID situation, we we switched it kind of online for a while, and that has gone actually very well. I I miss in person these things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's always it's never the same, right? So you know, you do the best you can when you try to teach a curriculum like this online, and you do the best you can, right? And and our those who went through it online did a remarkable job, but. Uh, after this year, um, just cause the rest of this, this year is totally booked for me. I haven't been able to schedule one this, but next year, uh, probably by spring, we'll finally be back to the in-person. Oh, fun. It's the plan. Mm-hmm. It, you know what? I really enjoy the online and hybrid version. Um, I got to work with your, our friend, Derek Toshner and Pavel several times, actually at our gym here in Denver, we hosted uh, strong endurance. We hosted the teacher's curriculum and plan strong. Nice. Yeah, it's a nice. lot of fun. And then Derek's up there presenting. Pavel's there. Fabio Zonin. Brett Jones was there. A lot of our Jeff was there. Newport. Um, it was. Oh, awesome! Yeah, yeah, you had you had the just that, that's the A team right there. Oh yeah, that, you had you had the super group man. It was <laughs> it was yeah. an absolute pleasure. We went out for steaks and wine afterwards. It was it was nice. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was hybrid. Is it was, it was you guys were in person, but you had allowed people to kind of like zoom in or something like that. One hundred percent. So what yeah, I did. That's cool. Uh, we hosted at our gym, and I I have um, I've probably shown it before, but it's changed since then. Uh, six different cameras lined up, wireless microphones on Pavel and each presenter, and then um, we hosted it via Zoom, of course. And then we had people in person too. We probably had I don't know fifty, sixty people in person, and then right. about a hundred online. And then we had people working the moderation just because I can't moderate while I'm doing video stuff. <laughs> so, uh, and in fact, just before um, our podcast. The new director from Strong First reached out to uh, work with Pavel and myself on an upcoming event in Miami. So nice, yeah, man! Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, all right. I'm I'm gonna have to uh, sneak out to one of these events. It's been too. It's been way too long since I've hung out with with all those cool people. Anyway, so well, they would love I, to see you. Yeah, yeah. yeah it would be so much more fun too to see you in person and you know just swap stories, maybe even jam a little bit. Is that an SG behind you that I see? Oh. Yes, sir. Got the SG. Good man. Good man. Right. I, as you know, I'm a big SG fan. Uh, many people aren't. Yeah, you got the Gibson. My, I've got my, uh, I got my Washburn here, but my SG is in, in the other room. And yeah, man, the SG gets a lot of hate, a lot of you know, <laughs> sort of the balance. But I'll tell you what, man, I, I, I take it over the Les Paul any day. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. It plays well. The tone's great. You can mm-hmm. shred on it. Shred I- on it. Mm-hmm. 
I never knew I wanted one. And my wife got it for me for my birthday and Christmas, pretty much the same day, mm-hmm. maybe 10 years ago. It's been so awesome. And Angus Young plays a, a, an SG. So what else <laughs> do you need? Right. Exactly. We actually got to go to the Gibson garage in Nashville this summer. Oh, you, you got to go where yes. you are going. Oh, oh we, yeah. We Sweet, man. <laughs> yeah, it was so awesome. It's actually uh, our 10 year anniversary. And I, I purchased, thanks to Jeff Newport, he helped me design a ring for my wife. I got her a, a diamond ring with 10 little diamonds and one big one for 10 years and then one big one for the future. Wow. Yeah. So when you see Jeff next time, um, I need to thank him. That man is amazing in so many different ways, isn't he? <laughs> He's very creative, very thoughtful. <laughs> yeah. I would just, of all the things that Jeff could do. <laughs> right. It, yeah. So thanks for him to plant that seed. But we went out to um, the Gibson garage and it was you would love it it's only gibsons and kramers and yeah because they own kramer now dude i'm looking at i almost pulled the trigger on the bumblebee yellow a beretta special they have (laughs) and like yeah man i mean that's i mean for me and the music that i love all my favorite guitarists in the 80s they're all kramer guys right but then kramer died and now but now gibson is like bringing them back so i'm like really tempted to get the the, the the Kramers that they've reissued. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you would definitely appreciate it. Well, yeah, they have like stacks of Marshalls. All the guitars are just like swinging by on a on a, on a line. You can pick one out and jam on them. It's it's pretty sweet. That's awesome. Did you play a Kramer while you're down there? Oh yeah, I almost. My long story is shorter. My wife was said, pick one out and we'll take it home. So that'd be my 10 year anniversary present. But I was like, no, no, no. They're like three thousand dollars plus. Like we don't need a new guitar. The SG does. Totally fine. Yep. It's a sweet thought. Very sweet thought. Yeah. My my only hesitation, and this is like me just being snobbish, is the new Kramers. I think they're I forget where they're made, maybe Indonesia or something. They're not, they're not, you know, US built. So like mm-hmm. that that just makes me a little hesitant until I actually play one. But everyone tells me that they that they play amazing. So mm-hmm. I just want to just want to get my hands on one first before I pull the trigger. Yeah. Of mm-hmm. course. I bet you would like it. The headstocks are so unique too. That bit, yeah, the banana headstock, yeah, yeah, yeah. People can just look up the. Uh, it's 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 as obnoxiously yellow as my hat is the one I'm looking at. So it's just yeah, perfect. <laughs> oh, spot on. Well, speaking of guitars, I saw that your uh, your daughter helped you decorate your your guitar. Yeah, it's right here. Check it out. I'm surprised. Um... Wow. So this this uh, this not to bore your audience this is uh this is a washburn n4 so this is this is nuno betancourt's guitar one of my favorite guitarists in the band extreme were you ever an extreme fan sean i was not but i was very much uh, appreciative of his virtuoso skills he's he shreds oh yeah he's he's insane he's one of those guitarists that uh you know everybody's got their guy right so i have t- i have like two or three guys and your guy is like the first time you hear it the first one for me was Angie Young from for AC from, um, mm-hmm. from ACDC. Like some of my earliest memories are just being in the car with my mom and her playing that Back in Black album, and me thinking, I don't know what that sound is, but I love it, and I I <laughs> need to I need to be able to do it. And then I had that experience again with Nuno, the first time I I played. Um, I forget what the maybe it was like Warheads. Like there was an extreme song that came on, and the guitar was so cool and so funky and so different. And again, like I don't know what that guy's doing. But I need to figure out how to do that. Right. And for most people, that guy is like Van Halen, you know, uh, and to an extent it was for me. Uh, but in, but Nuno was always a, I think, a stronger influence for me than even than than Eddie. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. And who's number three for you? Oh, boy. Um, probably Marty Friedman from Megadeth. Boom. There you go. 
Yeah, it has to be Marty from <clears throat> Megadeth. The first time you just hear like Rust in Peace album and his playing on there. Again, you're like, I don't know what that is. That it's like it all those exotic scales and everything. Oh, like yeah. I just there's there's his style is so amazingly unique. And I remember in high school, I just got like his dvd where he's sitting there with his super long curly hair oh, yeah. playing like his dragon kiss songs i just watched it over and over and over again just trying to <laughs> figure out what the heck this guy is doing right 100 uh-huh. yeah marty freeman oh so good uh yingve melmstein really like yingve i mean just insane right so um i to this day i still like am just in in awe at, at yingve's virtuosity i mean the sheer ferocity this everyone knows him for his speed but you have to also appreciate him for the other things like his vibrato mm-hmm. is incredible um and uh yeah people kind of like poke fun at yingve i don't see what there is to poke fun at uh, i mean the man is just an absolute uh, monster who who again he's like you have these guys that are just kind of like atom bombs on the music industry eddie was eruption dropped it just changed what it meant to be a guitar player ingve yeah. is another one of those guys right ingve dropped and it's like we didn't think this was possible before and now this is like the standard of what it would mean to be a virtuoso guitar player mm-hmm. yeah he's he's bonkers well your, your eruption i heard this week was spot on that was incredible. oh <laughs> thanks man yeah just been working at it a little bit our band some in this local cover band and uh, I've been trying to get some Van Halen in, but it's it's got to jive with all the other members. So we've kind of like tossed a, a few things in and then tossed them out. But we finally settled on you. You really got me, which is a simple enough tune. But I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, guys, at least let me take a stab at, at eruption. If we're going to do you really got me, because obviously that's the comes right before it on the album. Right. So finally, it's like one of those tunes where like as a guitarist, like I was always kind of vaguely familiar with it and like knew some licks from you know what my friend showed me or oh, that yeah. i just kind of had but then i sat down and listened to him like oh i'm i'm just not playing that right at all right like um yeah. it's just way off right in terms of in terms of dynamics uh if anybody if there's any guitar nerds like you really got it you can find the isolated track on youtube just slow it down it's incredible to hear it which is what i've been doing and um even things like just just some of the first initial uh quick passages Eddie's like really swinging. He's got like this incredible swing style, which is really hard to to emulate. So I've been I've been working at it. So thanks for <laughs> thanks for the uh, vote of confidence there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. And you're right. He, he's so good at different kinds of styles. The only part of that song he can do, and I probably am doing it wrong, is the finger tapping part. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing is about the the tapping part, right? Is um that's actually I think I think that's kind of like the easiest part of the song, right? I agree. Yep. Um, but it's the hardest to play standing up because I like to try and look cool when I pull, <laughs> which means I like to try and hold my guitar really low. So, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hold uh, my, like, like this, and that's easier for tapping. Yeah, 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 I try to like you do the uh, what's the the guy um, uh, Tom Morello from Rage Against yep. the Machine looks like a total nerd with his guitar, but it makes <laughs> sense to hold it up here, right? Because it's yeah. just mechanically it's easier. Uh, but I'm influenced by Nuno and Nuno's one of those guys, like he can hold his guitar down to his knees and play the most insane things. I'm like, how do you, how do you do that? It's just it boggles the mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, anyways, thanks for entertaining me on the music stuff. I could nerd oh, out on that all day. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I put the portable, uh, practice amp in my shopping cart for Christmas. So yeah, that thing is sweet. If there's any, uh, guitar players out there, check out the black star fly. So it's just a, it's an amp that's like. I don't know how big it is. It's very small, smaller than my computer screen. It's like, it, it, and it just runs on, you know, um, AA batteries. 
And most of those amps are pretty terrible, but you just accept it just because I just want something easy to practice with. But this one actually sounds good. <laughs> actually yeah. sounds legit good. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sounded really, really good. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to get one um, and take a camp and go shredding. Yeah, we just keep we just keep ours right in the kitchen. So I've got two of my kids already playing guitar now. So we just like somebody's plugged into that little thing down there almost <laughs> at all times in my household. Right. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Okay. Speaking of kiddos. OK, this is a big question. Mm-hmm. Well, one congratulations on the newest addition to your family thank you mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely um and then how do you balance time with your family with your businesses yeah yeah that's a really good question um well i'm very very fortunate that i you know since, since i work for myself i work from home so I, I you know it's sort of structurally set up for me that i i do spend a lot of time with my kids um the reason i might have been a little bit late for our podcast sean is i just had a May, and the reason I might seem a little bit tired is I just had a major major pizza date with uh, two of my daughters for lunch. Oh, um, yeah, a big carb loading uh, just happened. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, so for me, uh, in terms of, of of work in general, I I'm somebody who does well with with sort of very clear set boundaries and monotony. Oh yeah, you know. So um, my routine is extremely monotonous. Every morning I wake up, and the first thing I do is I just hang out with my kids for a little bit. So Marin, our second youngest, is a super early riser. Um, so me and her are usually down in the kitchen hanging out, uh, eating bananas at like five thirty, and everyone else is still kind of asleep. And I make coffee, and we just sit and, and we hang out for a little bit. I need time before I hop right into work anyways, if, if nothing else, just to get caffeinated. So then some of the other kids come down and I kind of like handle the kids uh, first thing in the morning, which I like to do because it gives me time to spend with them and the, what, you give Christine a little extra time to sleep or spend time with the, the baby upstairs. Uh, then we sort of trade. Christine will come down and then I go up and I... I shut the door. Literally, I shut that door. I'm in for what it's worth. I'm in my master bedroom closet. This is where I'm kept in the house right now. I used to be in the basement, which is much nicer because it's a finished basement, but it's way too cold down there. It's just way I just freeze. So I moved I moved up here. And it's also like functions, as you can see, Sean, as my pseudo studio. So I've got all my recording stuff. I got my you see there, I got the little black star in the corner all mic'd up. (laughs) Just it's a mess in here. But I come in here. I shut the door. And, you know, for a good chunk of hours, essentially from that, um, when I start till about lunchtime, it's just, it's just work. It's, and it's usually writing work. It's usually writing work and stuff. Right. And, uh, I think it's really important when you're trying to be productive that you don't have distractions and, mm-hmm. you know, you know, God bless my wife. She's really good at that. She's she's so she's at home. She takes care of the kids. She homeschools. Uh, so I'm really able to just kind of focus do my thing. Uh, but then, you know, when I break for lunch, uh, that's, you know, that's family time. So I spend a lot of time like today. I just took two of the younger kids. My wife was doing a school project with the older kids. So I took two of the young kids out for, uh, for pizza. Otherwise we'll just, you know, we'll have lunch together and we'll, we'll hit the Nintendo switch. We're big Mario Kart fans around here, Sean. That's do, awesome. Do a lot of Mario Kart. Um, and, uh, and, and daddy does not take it easy on any of the kids on, on Mario Kart. Um, just crushing them. Yeah, and then and then what I'll typically do, uh, and then usually if if, if it, um, I I like to work out around that time as well. I'm kind of uh, yeah, I'm kind of like a noonish time uh, workout guy, maybe a little bit before late morning, early afternoon. Uh, sometimes that's at home. Sometimes we'll just uh, go as a family to we go to to the Y. So that's a time to hang out too. 
when I come home, I usually dedicate another block of work no later than 4 p.m. And that's you that's often dedicated to all sorts of different things that aren't writing. Writing's my my primary activity throughout the day. Um, but then I have a block of time just to get everything else done that needs to get done. And then come four o'clock for me, that's like that's like it. That's like the hard stop. Now I'm shifting to just spend time with my family, uh, kids, wife, and and do all that good stuff. So, and that's just a routine, day in, day out, uh, very monotonous. So it's it's specifically set up that I have those periods of, you know, focus and productivity, but also ample time, you know, to spend spend with my family. Mm-hmm. Oh, I admire that. That's really very helpful. Mm-hmm. I've been doing better with boundaries myself and the structure, and I find the structure it creates better opportunities to be more productive as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it does. Like if you have for productivity, some things are really key. One is eliminating distractions. And I don't, I don't just mean kids. Kids are usually the least distracting thing. Honestly, I mean, things like checking social media all the time, leaving extra browsers open, uh, any, anything, right? Because as soon as you're doing a, a hard, difficult project, you sort of naturally look for distractions because once things get difficult, you kind of want to <laughs> not deal with it immediately yeah. anymore, right? Uh, but you have to. So close the browsers, leave your phone in the other room, shut the door, you know, like compartmentalize. This is your time and give yourself a deadline, right? That there's a sort of hard stop period and whatever you get done up to that that period is what you get done. But you you have your start time, you have your stop time, and this will condition you. Like you'll you'll become like Pavlov's doll, right? That once once you're in that environment, and once it is that time, you will automatically just kind of be in that creative, productive mode. But you 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 have to make it a routine. You have to make it a habit. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. Follow up question for sure. Do you ever find um, moments where you're very creative outside those times? And how do you handle that? Uh, yeah, usually it's uh, in the shower and I try to reach for my phone and I, I fall out across the toilet <laughs> and uh, <laughs> or I'm driving on the highway and space out. It's a, no, I know exactly. What you're talking about. Yeah, sometimes your, your best ideas come at the worst times, right? Um, uh, but jokes aside, no, I actually have an, an ongoing um, notepad on my phone where I, I always have it right. hopefully ready to go um so that way at any time sometimes if you have to just do like a a voice recording because you're driving or something you know be safe um but i think this is uh something that you'll learn from any creative person i remember there was i forget the name of the book right now but it was a book on writing uh this writer said that they always carried uh sticky sticky notes with them uh for this reason that you know you just get ideas, you know, especially if you're kind of always thinking about what's going to happen in your story. You never know when a good idea is going to pop up. And the last thing you want to happen is for a good idea to pop up and then you lose it. It's gone and it's gone forever because you didn't write it down. So always having some sort of capture device around. For me, it's just notepad on my phone is the simplest, but people use sticky notes, voice recorders, anything. Uh, so, yeah, I, I recommend doing that. Mm-hmm. That's very good advice. Yeah, oh, that's very helpful. Um, about content creation, mm-hmm. if, if people are, are, most people know who you are, you put out content consistently that is very helpful. Do you, do you batch it and then automate it? Or do you like 9am, I'm going to put up this kettlebell information. Yeah. Most of my content is, is live. Um, but, uh, I don't know if that's a helpful answer. So we should just go through it kind of bit by bit. Um, some of my content is is automated. So like if you come into my circle, the world of Pat Flynn and say you get on my 
uh, email list or whatever, you'll get a, a few emails and stuff that that were cooked a while ago and I think are very fun and useful and interesting because they kind of like help introduce you to my world of where all the the things that might help you are. So, uh, but for the most part, if you're on my, on my email list, for example, what you are reading for me was written by me that morning. Right. I love it. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a dynamic to that, that, that just can't be emulated. Right. And I like doing it. I like getting things out while they're fresh. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a blog, a Substack. Uh, that's mostly philosophy. Again, what you read on there is something that usually came about that morning or the night before, on the podcast, you know it's fresh because a lot of it's live streamed, right? <laughs> so that's 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 uh, being made on the spot. Books are obviously different, right? Um, books you you work out over a long haul, and uh, my next one's due. My next book is due uh, October first, so I'm in like big crunch time right now. And mm-hmm. on that, um, so but I, I'll just put the whole book thing to one side because to me that's like an entirely different category of uh, entirely different animal um but no most of the stuff you know here's the thing about writing it's so much easier to write when you're excited about something and um it's almost impossible to write i don't care how good you are how long you've been in the game people ask me about writer's block pat how do you not seem to get writer's block and the answer is because i don't get writer's block because i never have to write about something that bores me <laughs> that mm-hmm. I don't care about. If you, if you had have me write about fertilizer, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have anything to say. <laughs> now, some people might be interested in that and that's awesome. Um, I, at, at the current moment am not, and there's a lot of things that I'm not just interested in. And I would struggle as bad as anybody struggles. If I had to, to, to write about things that just are not like really interesting to me. So I have the advantage of, essentially only being only having to write about the things that really do interest me and the questions that are at the top of my mind already, or the things that I'm already thinking about the things that I already have, I think a lot to say on. Um, So that's always been my, my advice. I think if you're, if you're not just interested in something, but you're always researching it, that's the other thing. You can't just be interested and passionate about something. You have to be reading about it a ton and a ton and a ton. And if you have that combination of a sort of insatiable uh, curiosity for something where you're just constantly trying to go deeper and deeper and a great passion for it, uh, you'll tend to just be a geyser. You'll just be able to spurt content out. Um, doesn't mean always be great, but that's what editing is for, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's super helpful. And I love that you uh, you do that live. I can, I can get that feeling from the content. It's like, oh, this is what I'm feeling right now. I'm going to put it out today. Um, much like you, that's how I operate too. I may batch some videos. I'll go to the mountains and shoot videos, but and then um, I'll watch the videos and get re excited about it, and then I'll write the article. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like us talking about SGs and and Eddie Van Halen. Like I could talk about this and create content around this for the next ten years because oh, I, sure. I I'm so, I'm not just so interested in it, but I've sp- I've spent so many years looking into it and studying it. You know, <laughs> it it'd be yeah. hard it'd be hard to. It's not that you don't have enough to say. It's just I have too much to say, and I don't know how to organize it. That's that's the difficulty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's super helpful. Um, I, you probably know the engagement team. We have forty-five writers, and sometimes they have that question, like, "How do you stay uh, excited about something?" And often I tell them, "When you uh, first worked on this project or wanted to work on it, and you're researching, what was the excitement? How did you feel? Just tap back into that, and um, usually works." Yeah, that's great. And, you know, 
Um, problems. Problems are exciting, right? What are yeah. you trying to solve right yeah. now? What's what's the problem? Have a problem. You need a problem to work on, right? And and the truth is, if you're always trying to get better at something, you should always have a problem. Mm-hmm. There should always be a problem, and and your excitement can can kind of come from that problem. Uh, problems are opportunities. I see for you know for for greater growth and, and adventure. And I think people kind of. I don't know, uh, get bored or whatever, because they, they, I guess they stopped trying to grow and they didn't have as many problems that, that kept them excited to be. And so it's just all about problems, trying to solve problems. Mm-hmm. I like that reframing. That's really good. And, mm-hmm. that, and that is a lot of what uh, we get to do in our world is we see something, what would make this better? Or how can we teach people how to make this better? Mm-hmm. Um, boom, problems solve. Yeah. And even for fitness, you know, the problem isn't always like, how do I get a, a bigger press? Sometimes the problem is, how do I keep the press I have right now or that I had when I only had one kid when I have five kids, right? That's a, yeah. it's a great problem to think about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is great, Pat. Well, we covered a whole lot of topics in, in the last 45 minutes. Indeed. Like, yeah, we always do. And it always flies by. And I'll be respectful of your time. Oh, happy to jam for as long as you want, my friend. Mm-hmm. That, that's awesome. And uh, listeners out there, yes, might have lost my voice. And that is why it sounds the way it does. Um, but I saved it up. I want to talk with Pat. So um, absolute pleasure, Pat. Thank you for uh, sharing your insights on creativity, balancing work-life balance with a very large family, the structure you implement in your day that allows you to create the awesome content that you create and help all the people you help. Um, it's, it's always fun talking with you and learning how you operate and how you operate in the world, make it a better place. Thank you, Sean. Always a pleasure. And let's make sure that it happens again way sooner uh, than a year and a half from now. That's just unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, I looked at him like, oh my God, it was a year and a half. It used to be every three months or so. So I'll make yeah. that happen. Yeah, good stuff. And I hope your uh, listeners got a little something out of it. Always a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Pat. And I'll put links below where you can find Pat Flynn on social media, Chronicles of Strength, and his books as well on Amazon. And I'm Sean Sewell with engagement.com podcast. Until next time, take care. <laughs>